We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Turn in your Bibles, will you, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 14. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 14. I want you to underscore this verse. I'm going to use it as a text only. And then I want to say some things about neglect. My subject is one word, neglect, neglect. That's a negative thing. And yet there's some very positive warnings and exhortations that I can give from my text and from my subject today. And I hope that I'll be able to do that. Uh, Neglect not, verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy and by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Now underscore that, don't forget it. And then I pray that the Spirit of God will burn it to your soul and into your heart as I uh, project the words of my text to you in this message. Neglect, what is neglect? What do we mean by the word? You say, preacher, do you mean to tell me that there are folk that need to be exhorted uh, relative to neglecting things in their life as believers? I would think so. I would think the Lord is leading me very definitely uh, to impress this text upon your mind today. And if the need is in your life, I think the Spirit of God will speak to you. And I pray that you'll be Christian enough, or if you're not saved, that you'll be convicted enough to line your life up with the will of God and the plan of God for your life. And God has a will. God has a plan. God has certain things that ought to characterize the lives of each of us. And to neglect these things that are weighty and holy and godly uh, is a terrible thing for Christians to become guilty of. And that's the reason that I project the text to you in this hour. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Now, I would suppose the last one of us in the building have some kind of ability. Old Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say that the greatest ability is dependability. If you have nothing but that, you've got a virtue. All of us have some kind of an ability. Some have more than just dependability. If you allow me to say just, I don't know of any greater thing than dependability, and I would agree to Dr. Jones 100% on that. But you have other gifts, you have other abilities in addition to dependability. Some of you have the gift of personality. God's endowed you uh, with a tremendous personality. Some of you are handsome and beautiful. Now, not all of us could say that we're handsome. Not all of us could say that we're beautiful. Some are. There are some handsome men in this building. God made you that way. There are other men in this building that are just ordinary. And your pastor would certainly fit subordinary, I would suppose, at that particular qualification. But there's some of you that are handsome. God made you that way. And you have a gift of personality that the average one of us don't enjoy. Now, you're not to neglect that. And God forbid you use that upon yourself. There's some playboys in the land today that God's endowed with a handsome personality and they think that's a license to commit fornication and sin. God forbid. If God's made you another Saul, then you ought to give your life to God to be used to God's glory. Or if God's made you a beautiful lady and there are ladies in this building today that are as attractive and as beautiful as any lady I've ever seen in my life. 
many of them, some young, some middle-aged, some older, beautiful women. If God's made you with a beautiful personality, then that's a gift of God. And don't you neglect that. Now, to use that upon yourself would be wrong and sinful. But to use it to God's glory as an open door for the gospel is godly and virtuous. And I would challenge you to do that. While on the other hand, there are many other gifts. There's a gift, uh, a gift of, uh, of, of speaking. There's the gift of singing. Uh, there's a gift of conversation. Uh, not all people have the same gifts, you see. Uh, some cannot, cannot sing. Uh, I, I, I certainly fit in that category. The Lord did not endow me with any ability to sing. At least I don't think so. And those of you that heard me say amen to that, I know you do. And uh, I don't plan to let any of the rest of you hear me if I can help it. Because I know my, my gift is not in that direction. While on the other hand, some of you are endowed with that gift to be able to, to sing tenor or to sing some other part. And uh, you ought to use that and cultivate that. Neglect not the gift that is in, the, that, that is in thee. Others are gifted with the ability to speak. Some men can speak. Some can give uh, more radiant testimony. It seems like words come easy to some people. While on the other hand, words become difficult to others. We're all made of the same thing, and yet not all of, all of us have the same gift to speak. When you stand up, somebody said, when I stand up to speak, I sit down in my mind. And I, a lot of us are like that way. We stand up and we sit down at the same time, and that's awful embarrassing. When your mind ceases to function while you're on your feet, that's an awful thing. Not all of us can speak like we ought to speak and like we'd love to speak. Now those of you who can speak easily ought to utilize that gift to the glory of God. Others, others you can carry on conversation. I never cease to marvel at how some people can start a conversation at nothing and just talk about things in general and seem like you have plenty of uh, reserve and uh, plenty of resource uh, to talk by the hour in conversation. Now, some don't have that gift. Some find it difficult to start a conversation about most anything. And then others find it difficult to continue that, uh, that conversation for very long. Now, if you have the gift of conversation, the gift of being able to start a conversation with a stranger, the gift of being able to sustain that conversation with a person, you ought to use that gift and sanctify that gift. Not to your own advantage, why there's so many a salesman that's learned that he's got the gift of conversation that commercializes off his gift and sometimes uh, use underhanded methods to make money because of his gift of being able to sell and persuade people. That's wrong. That's wrong to do that. But if you've got the gift of conversation, then use that to the glory of God, whatever that gift may be. Now, uh, you have some gift. Uh, God endows some with one talent, some with two talents, some with five talents. The most of us fit in that first category. We're only endowed with one talent. A few have two, and lesser a few have five talents. But whatever category you're in, if it's one talent only, then utilize that and use that and dedicate that and give that to God. Neglect not the gift that is within thee. Whatever that gift may be, don't you neglect it. If you neglect it, you're going to dwarf it. If you neglect it, you're going to ruin it. If, you're going to, if, you, if you neglect it, you're going to meet it at the judgment. And you're going to suffer loss for having neglected a gift that God endowed you with when you were born or later on in your life. Now use that gift. Utilize it. Now what is neglect? I think most of us understand 
what we mean by the word? I may I point out some things in answer to that question. I don't think you would deliberately become guilty of neglect, especially in the light of my text that exhorts us to neglect not the gift that is within thee. But what is it to neglect? I remind you first of all that neglect is the beginning of prayerlessness. Second, neglect is the ruin of talent. Third, neglect is the death of witnessing. Number four, neglect is the mother of faithlessness. Five, neglect is the robber of ties. Number six, neglect is the thief of rewards. And number seven, neglect is the route to hell. Now may I note these things one at a time with you, and I think it'll give you an idea why it's so important that we neglect not certain things within our lives. First of all, neglect is the beginning of prayerlessness. Now what one of us in the building today would, that would gain say my statement and my contention that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not one of you would deny that. Not one of you would gain say that. If I said to you that you ought to pray, you'd le at least give me a <clears throat> uh, mental assent. If you did no praying, you'd not deny that men ought to pray. If you, if, you, if you did not intend to obey my exhortation, you would not deny the worthwhileness of my exhortation. Now, neglect is the beginning of prayerlessness. Men ought to pray. There's no question about that. And the reason the most of us do no more praying than we do it's not because we, know we uh, don't know we ought to pray, nor because we uh, uh, doubt that God's able to answer our prayer. But the reason the most of us do so little praying is right at the subject that I'm dealing with now. We neglect to pray. And neglect becomes the uh, beginning of prayerlessness in your life. Now, men ought always to pray. Sometimes, every day, you ought to pray. I think you ought to have a secret place to pray. If you don't have a convenient place at home, then uh, find a place on the job. Many a man has bowed out in the woods to pray. Many a time I've gone to churches and meeting, and the men would go out into the edge of the woods uh, and, uh, and pray around a pile of stone that they had uh, brought. And every stone on that pile represented some prayer burden of some man that bowed around that pile of stone. And they'd go and pray. And I'd go pray with them. You could do that. Every man ought to have a time to pray. Now, it's not easy to let 24 hours slip by without slipping upon your knees. And there's not a person in this building, but what hadn't done that sometimes, preacher, missionary, all of us. Sometimes down the way has let 24 hours slip by without slipping upon our knees. And that's a tragedy. And when you do that one day, the next day, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself doing the same thing again. And unknown until you find that neglect becomes the beginning of a prayerless life. And in a few months, you wake up to find out that though you're a Christian or you're a teacher or you're a singer or you're a preacher or you're a missionary, you'll find out that your prayer life is far below par. And you just aren't doing much praying. And, and you sit yourself down and talk to yourself and you say to yourself, why? Why do I do no more praying than I do? I believe I ought to pray. I believe God answers prayer. All of us believe that. Why don't I do more praying than I do? 
And it's then that we wake up to the fact that the real reason we do no more praying than we do is neglect. We don't mean to start prayerlessness, but we just neglect to pray, neglect to pray, neglect to pray. And days pile one upon another, and after a while a month goes by and we've done a little praying. A year goes by and we've done a little praying. God have mercy upon us as we neglect to pray. Neglect is the beginning of prayerlessness. Now, I, I heard the ladies in their prayer room praying as I came to church uh, this morning, and I'm glad for that. I passed by their prayer room with rejoicing in my heart that the ladies were praying. I went to the upper room where the men pray, and I prayed, and I saw some other men going and coming as I prayed in the prayer room. Thank God for that. But the great majority of you in this building have not prayed today. You graced your meal this morning as you ate your breakfast before you came to church. And I commend you for that. Men ought to do that. But the most of you in the building have not prayed today. And more tragic than that, the most of you will not pray unless you deliberately find a time and a place and get on your knees and pray. Neglect will rob you from prayer, keep you from prayer. You're good men and you're good women. And you agree with your pastor all, with all your heart. And you certainly agree with the text that I'm using in 1 Timothy 4. You're not denied at all. And you, you don't mean to be prayerless. But you simply neglect. And neglect becomes the beginning of a prayerless life. Now let's arrest ourselves right now. Let's just stop ourselves and, and sit Joe down or Tom down or Mary down or Ruby down. Let's sit them down and preach to ourselves for a moment. And make some resolutions right now. That we're going to find a place to pray today. It may be in your closet, go into the bedroom. It may be in the basement, maybe out in the edge of the woods. Or maybe tonight in this prayer room. I don't know of any better thing you could do than to come 15 minutes earlier tonight. Than ordinarily you come to church. And, and don't, don't sit here, but just go upstairs to the prayer room you men. Or you ladies go down to your prayer room. And, and spend 15 minutes upon your knees. That's one simple answer to your neglect of prayer. Now that's only one time a week. We only come to church, the average one of us, on Sunday. But we ought to pray every day. That means you're going to have to have a place somewhere in your automobile, or in your house, or at a family altar, somewhere every day. Are you going to neglect this tremendous gift of prayer? Neglect the beginning of prayerlessness. Second, I remind you that neglect is the ruin of talent. I suggested to you a moment ago that God's endowed some of you with talent, with ability. I marvel at, uh, at, at inbred ability. The other day, Brother Aiken arranged to have the uh, band started in our day school. And as far as I know, only a few of these children in our Christian day school, 600 of them, uh, have any musical ability with, with a wind instrument. As far as I know, only a few. But they picked out 25, or maybe a more, and, and placed a horn of all kinds in the hands of these kiddies, just young people, juniors and intermediates. And uh, the teacher, the instructor came and gave them a few basic lessons, I suppose. And in four weeks, they were not playing like uh, the Greenville Symphony, of course not. But in four weeks, these young folk were playing those wind instruments. Now, it takes, uh, it takes talent to do that. 
And the first thing that man did, if I understand Brother Aiken correctly, uh, he gave all these children that were interested in the band a test to find out if they had any natural talent. That means you'd have to weed some of them out. If they was going to start a glee club here at Tabernacle, they'd soon weed me out, you see. Thank you, Brother Aiken. Brother Bogan. He said amen to that. They'd weed me out in a hurry, wouldn't they? Well, they weed some of the rest of you out also. I'd, I'd never be able to, uh, to qualify for a glee club. But there are young people in this church that could well qualify for a glee club. And so they, they, they selected those that had some talent. And they got busy. And the first thing you know, they were doing work, doing business for the Lord. Cultivating that talent. Developing that talent. Now, by the same logic, you can neglect the same talent. And if you neglect that talent, then it lies dormant and dead and useless and wasted in your life all the days of your life. Now, whatever your talent may be, that may be teaching a Sunday school class, it may be, uh, may be uh, making money so you can tithe your income, it may be visiting the unsaved and doing witnessing for the Lord. It may be going to see the shut-in ones to encourage them and lift them up in their desperation. Whatever that talent may be, don't you let it lie dormant. Don't you let it die. Neglect is the ruin of natural gifts and abilities that God endows every person with one degree or another. Don't neglect it. Find out what you can do and cultivate that. Develop that. Work at that. Use that so that we can hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when we go home to heaven. Number three, neglect is the death of witnessing. As with praying a moment ago, I think I could say that all of you in this building would agree that men ought to witness. I, I personally believe that there's no group of Baptist people in South Carolina as a unit that do more witnessing than you do. I mean, day-by-day uh, -day witnessing on the job, in the store, in your home, in your conversation. I know you do witnessing. I'm sure you do witnessing. And, and I, I preach it. I recommend it. I try to practice it myself. And I'm not saying we're doing as much witnessing as we ought to do. In fact, I'm preaching along that line now. I'm convinced we aren't. But all of us believe in witnessing. And we do some of it. Maybe a little of it. But we believe in it and we do it. Just like praying. We certainly believe in praying. We may not do all the praying we need to do, but we believe in praying. And so with witnessing. Now, every one of us ought to be a witness for the Savior. Oh, I know the, the common arguments are that the pastor's paid to do that. And the full-time workers on the staff, they're paid to do that. And the Sunday school superintendents, uh, they, they are obligated to do that. And the deacons, they're the ones to do that. Not the man that sits in the pew. But I come to remind you that every believer in this building under God is obligated to be a witness every day you live, one way or another. Jesus gave the commission not only to the preachers and missionaries and deacons, but he gave the commission to every believer. Go ye into all the world. And that word ye implies every believer is to be a witness. And you never graduate. You never get to the point that you're not to be a witness. You never become so great until you neglect witnessing. You never become so big until you don't have to witness to please God. You, you, you can't excuse it. You say, well, I just can't do it like somebody else does it. You can do it like you do it. 
It may not be as effective or as productive as some other person may be, but you can do it nonetheless with all your might, just like you do it. Now we ought to witness. I wouldn't be at all surprised if I made this statement, the truth of it. The most of you in this building have not witnessed this week. I mean, you've let a whole week slip by without doing any witnessing. Some of you might have witnessed uh, accidentally maybe, but you didn't do it purposely. And you've let a week slip by without doing any systematic, deliberate witnessing for the Lord. Now there's no excuse for that. And you're going to find that neglect is the death of witnessing in your life. When you neglect it, you'll find it easier to neglect it the second time. When you omit it today, you'll find it easier to omit it on tomorrow. Neglect the death of witnessing. And when you cease to witness, then you've ceased at the very heart of the great commission that the captain of our soul gave when he went back to heaven. Go ye into all the world. And the last one of us in this building are under obligation to obey that commission in this matter of witnessing. It's easy to neglect it. Very easy to neglect it. I think me and you have a golden opportunity this coming week to do some witnessing to God's glory. You say, how can I witness, preacher? The meeting is coming up. Brother Gary Coleman will be here tonight. And through Friday night of this week, we'll be having meetings here at Tabernacle. How can I do witnessing? Let me suggest this to you. There isn't any of you in this building, but why couldn't pick up your telephone and call a friend or a member of Tabernacle or a person living close by and say, you know, they're having a revival over at Tabernacle. And as far as I know, there'll not be another church in Greenville County in revival this week. Had a man call me yesterday, I mean day before yesterday, and said, are you having services tonight? And I said, no, sir, we're not having services tonight. He said, are you going to have services tomorrow night? That was yesterday. And I said, no, sir, we're not going to have services. As far as I know, there was not a service in a Baptist church in Greenville County last night. As far as I know. There might have been a Christmas play, but there was no preaching services in any church in Greenville County on last night. And that man wanted to go to church. I don't know who he was. He didn't tell me who he was, but he wanted to go to a service where they sang like we sang a while ago. And where a preacher preaches like I'm trying to preach now. And I had to tell him, no, we don't have a service schedule at Tabernacle, and I don't know of any in the county last night and night before last. Now, this coming week, though, if anybody calls me, I say, yes, sir, brother. And if nobody calls me, I can call somebody else and say, yes, sir, brother. We're having revival at Tabernacle. And as far as I know, the only church in the county that'll be in meetings this coming week will be here at Tabernacle. Now, don't you think that's a golden opportunity for you to do some witnessing? You could call, you could invite, you could bring somebody. And I don't know of any better thing you could do than to bring an unsaved friend of yours and set that unsaved man right beside you and you sit by him and pray for him while the preacher preaches. What greater thing could you do than that? Now I'm talking about witnessing. And we all ought to be witnesses. We're commanded and commissioned to be witnesses. And I, I'm worried, I'm perplexed that we neglect it. And that's why I'm bringing this text to you. To exhort you not to neglect. Because neglect is the death of witnessing. And when you cease to witness, uh, then a vital part of you as a believer has died.
And that's a tragedy. Don't let that happen. Revive that witnessing right now. In your mind, in your soul, make a resolution right now that you'll avail yourself of the opportunity that we have before us as a church in this meeting to do some witnessing to God's glory. Number five, neglect is the robber of the tithe. Now you say, Brother Harold, you're going to talk about money, aren't you? Well, I'm going to talk about God's money. How about that? I won't say anything about yours. I'll talk about God's money for a while. You say, you mean God's got money? Yes, God's got money. He always has had money. You know how God gets money? He gets it from the tithe of the increase from God's people. Malachi 3.10, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. Leviticus 27.3, for the tithe is the Lord's. Now that's in the Bible, brethren. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16.1, on the first day of the week, let every man lay by in store as the Lord hath prospered him that there be no gathering when I come. Then way back in the book of Genesis, I'm told that Abraham paid tithes unto Melchizedek. Amen. Tithing. Tithing. Now, like praying, like witnessing, I don't suppose there's a single person in this building that would gainsay the principle of tithing. Now, you may not tithe. Most of you do, I think. But some of you may not tithe. But not one of you would rise up and say, Now, Brother Harold, I just don't believe the Bible teaches tithing. And I think you're being unfair when you ask people to tithe, when you uh, challenge people to tithe. I don't think the Bible teaches tithing. As far as I know, none of you would do that. You may never tithe yourself. But you have no objections to my tithing or to some other person tithing. You may never do any witnessing, but you don't have any objection to somebody else witnessing, do you? You may do a little praying, but you don't have any, any objection to somebody else praying. Same way with this matter of tithing. You may never tithe, but you certainly have no objections. If a man wants to tithe, you'll say amen. Let that man tithe, you see. Now, as far as I'm concerned, every believer ought to be a tither. Personally, I'm a tither. Have been. My mother and dad taught me to tithe when I was just a lad many, many years ago. In all these years, I've tithed my income. A moment ago, when these offering pans passed by, I placed my tithe. My wife placed her tithe in that offering pan a while ago. And I didn't start that last week. I started that when I was a boy, junior boy, or before. Further back than I can remember, I started tithing. Now, some of you in this building deliberately plan to tithe uh, in the new year. You plan to get a package of these offering envelopes and use them. And uh, some, some of you have begun tithing down through the years and uh, started out for a while and then you neglected it and stopped it and it came to a grind and stop, halt in your life and you haven't tithed. And some of you are having difficulties domestically and financially right now. And the reason is because of the tithe. Had your man come by at my office the other day here at the church and he said, I need to talk to you. I'm in trouble. I'm in financial trouble. And I'm not calling the names. Nobody knows who I'm talking about. He may be in the service now. Or he may be hearing about the radio. I don't know. But he said, I'm in financial trouble. Deep financial trouble. And I love the Lord. And I, I want you to pray for me that I'll get out of this financial dilemma. And the first thing I said to the young man, I said, son, are you tithing? And he was honest. He said, no, sir. 
Well, I said, there's no need for me to talk to you any further. And there's really not, not much need for me to pray for you. Unless you're willing to commence tithing. Oh, but he said, Brother Harold, I just don't see how in the world I can tithe. He told me how much he made, and he made more money than I make. His sour was more than mine. Now, my sour is not large, but it's sufficient. And I looked at him, I said, you mean to tell me that you can't live on that? You can't pay your bills on that while you're making more money than I'm making. And it seems to me you ought to be able to pay your bills, just a young man. But he was in an awful dilemma financially. And I said to him, you'll never get relief until you give God what's his. Now, that, that may not be so with the unsaved man, but if you're born of God's spirit, you're headed for a lot of trouble until you start tithing. And, and many of you, if we had testimony meeting, 100 or 200 or 300 of you people would stand up right now and say, Amen, brother. All you said about tithing is so. I've tested God. I've proven God. And he's blessed me. He's helped me in a thousand ways meet my financial obligations. And I tithe my income. I know you can testify to that. But you know, there's some of you in this building defeated right at this one point. And, and it's not because you, you're a bad person or because you don't believe in tithing or because you're fighting me or fighting the program of Tabernacle Baptist Church. You thank God for Tabernacle Baptist Church. You thank God for its mission program. You thank God for what it does to get the gospel around the world. You praise God for that. And yet you don't tithe. Now, I don't know of a better day than for you to make a resolution in your soul right now that you're not going to let neglect become the robber of God's tithe in your life. Now, you get a package of these envelopes, and you start out and use every one of them. And if you'll do it because you love Jesus and love the gospel, and if you'll do it one year because you love Jesus and love the gospel, and you come back to me and tell me that God hadn't blessed you, I'll, re I'll refund every dime you've given out of my personal pocket. Now that's a challenge. If you love God, now I'm, I wouldn't do that to a hypocrite. I wouldn't do that to a man who just wants to get ahead or wants to get rich. But if you love God and love the gospel and love the souls of men, if you'll tithe one year, I'll guarantee you can say along with all these others, God's been wonderful to me. And he supplied my needs. Amen. It's wonderful what God can do. Some of you folk, Brother Kira handed me an offering a while ago for the radio. And he and his wife support the radio and I appreciate them. Long friends. And God's blessed you, brother, because of your tithing. I had a mother come to me, no names I'll call, but I had a mother come to me a while ago and placed $300 in my hands. And she told me who the $300 came from but asked me not to mention any names, to tell nobody. That was the request of the person who gave it. Don't want any names mentioned. So I'm not at liberty to mention the name of anybody. And I wouldn't do that. But that person so believed in tithing until they said, I want this $300 to be used to God's glory. Now you can buy several pair of shoes for $300, brethren, and several suits of clothes and make one or two payments on your automobile, couldn't you? But God's work is more important than any shoes you ever bought or any automobile you ever paid for. The most important thing you've ever done in your life is to labor with God in the vineyard of souls. And when you give to God's gospel, your tithe, to God's church, your tithe, you can watch God bless you. He'll do it. 
But if you don't do it, you're going to have trouble. Now just put it down. And no need to come weep on my shoulder. You're welcome to come and I'll give you a shoulder to weep on. But I'll ask you if you're tired and you say no, I'll just tell you the trouble. No need me to, you don't need a, you don't need a wise man to find out the problem if you're not tithing. You're going to have trouble as long as you rob God. As long as you don't give, you're going to have financial trouble. Or you say, well, I don't love God. I'm not a Christian. I'm not talking to you. You go ahead and use all of it. Help yourself because all the help you'll ever have is on this earth. But me and you that are saved, we'll eat up treasures on the other side, aren't we? And this world's not my home. And I, I'm looking for two worlds. I'm, I'm trying to lay up a little bit on the other side where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. And down through the years, I've laid up pretty size of a little mountain on the other side. And while I'm laying it up, I'm testifying that God's blessed me. Now, I don't mean by that that he's made me fabulously rich, but he supplied all my needs. I stand before you today to testify to you, and I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man either. But I stand before you to testify that there's not one need in my life for what God hadn't supplied it. Never has been one need for what God hadn't supplied it. And he'll do that for you. I didn't say he'd give you your wants, but he'll supply your needs. If you'll tithe your income, he'll do it. Oh, I, my wife's not here. She had to go home uh, because uh, my son and Larry and them planned to eat dinner with us today. But when my child was killed, in five months, that tragedy cost $8,500. And I had no insurance, no hospital insurance, no kind of insurance. And I cried to God, I'll never get out of this financial dilemma. My wife, I, don't th I think, sometimes doubts this testimony. But when she came out of the hospital five months later, she said something about the bills. And I said, all the bills are paid. She asked me how much, and I told her. And she uh, couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. It's hard for me to believe as I look back over it. But you believe me, God placed $8,500 in my hands. The best assurance adjuster you've ever dealt with is Almighty God. These insurance companies sometimes connive and, and renege and argue. But God's assurance adjuster will always supply just what you need. And I needed $8,500 and all of the bills paid didn't have a dollar left over. But everything obligated was taken care of. And my wife may not believe it, but that's so. <laughs> I think she believes I had to dig it up and pay it out somewhere and didn't want to tell her. But I'm telling you the truth if I ever told it, God gave me that money. And he'll do that for you if you'll tithe it. But God's not going to bless you if you don't tithe. Now just put her down. You take the tithe and buy yourself clothes and shoes and other things and automobiles. God's not going to bless you when the missionary is out yonder calling for support. Last week, our church placed $6,500 in the hands of Dan Truax and put them on Eastern Carolina and started them to Africa. You don't raise $6,500 with collections. It takes ties. It takes money like the money given to me a while ago for this church. It takes money to do that. And by the way, the money handed to me was not to me personally, but to the gospel. You, you understand. When people hand me money, I don't put that money in my pocket. No, no, I don't. These men count the money. And they, they have checks up there right now, they're counting, made out to me with my name on it. 
but I know that it didn't mean it for me. And they'll turn that check over on the back. My name is endorsed. My name's on the back of it. I don't put that money in my pocket. I'd be a cook if I did. No, no, people hand me money and say this is for the gospel. They can be assured I'd die before I'd use a dime of it for myself. I'd starve to death before I'd buy a hamburger steak with one dollar of anything anybody ever gave to me for the gospel. No, no. The gospel is precious to me. And if I was you, I'd support it. These missionaries are calling. And we have to have tithe money. We have to have sacrificial offerings. You don't send money like we sent with Dan to build that mission station in the Sahara Desert of Africa where the gospel has never been preached. You don't build stations like that on collections. It takes tithes, sacrificial offerings. It takes big offerings to do that. $100, $200,000 to do that. Now, neglect. You, you mean to do it, but you just neglect it. Put it off. Put it off. If I was you, I'd not neglect this amount of tithe in another single week. I'd get me a box of these offering envelopes and I'd start tithing today or by next Sunday all means. I, by all means, I'd get my tithe in. And if I starve to death, and if you'll come to see me, I won't let you starve to death. If you tithe and go hungry, you come to me and I'll give you half of anything I've got in my cupboard. Now that's fair enough, isn't it? If you tithe and you haven't got enough money to, uh, to buy food with, you come to me and I'll give you half of I've got, what I've got. And my wife always keeps a little supply on hand. We'll give you half of it. And if I get to running short, I'll come to some of these boys and I'll get half of theirs. We're not going to starve to death. <laughs> no, no, we won't starve to death. Yes, sir. I want you to tithe. And life's too short for you to use the tithe. Heaven's too precious for you not to have a treasure laid up on the other side. Souls are too precious for you not to be involved in world missions. Let's tithe. Neglect is the robber of the tithe. I must close. Neglect is the thief of rewards. I want to hear him say, well done when I get to heaven. And if I neglect, just neglect, I may lose that gracious privilege. I may have my works burned up by neglect, by carelessness, by carnality. My works burned up. I say, but it's by far. Who wants to go to heaven like that? I want a royal entrance, an abundant entrance. I want to hear him say, well done. I want, to, I want to earn the five crowns that believers can earn by faithfully serving the Savior. Neglect is the thief of rewards. And then last, neglect is the route to hell. There's not a person under the sound of my voice, either in this building or by the radio, who intends to go to hell. No, no, you don't want to go to hell. Nobody rational wants to go to hell. But oh, I wonder how many people are in hell today because of neglect. They put it off until it was too late. They planned to get right with God, but it was too late. And one day they crossed the deadline. One day they got too far. One day they went too far. And there's no return. And they slipped into hell through the route of neglect. Oh, I don't want that to happen to you. Neglect the route to hell. May we bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My text, 1 Timothy 4, 14, neglect not the gift that is within thee. And I hope that you'll remember the subject, neglect, a common thing, a personal thing. The most of us sometimes or other have been guilty, one way or another, of neglecting important things. Sometimes men neglect their health. 
Sometimes men neglect their families. Sometimes men neglect their houses and on down the line. But the most serious thing and the most solemn thing is to neglect God and neglect spiritual values. Don't do that. Eternal destinies are determined. And to neglect might mean the ruin of a soul in eternity. Now, while heads about, let me ask you one or two questions. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.